Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's US Open Round 4 catch-up. Nick Kyrgios gets the better of defending champion Daniil Medvedev. Caroline Garcia's win streak continues. And last quick standing, Cam Norrie bows out in straight sets. Chris, today is the 5th of September. We are here to catch up on round four action from the US Open at Tennis Weekly HQ. Uh, it's all happening at the moment. We've got the world number one on court with Iga Svantec. Rafa is a set down to Francis TFO. So lots to talk about, including all of yesterday's matches as well as today's action so far. Um, it's just you and me today, Chris, because Joel is is off in in Madrid having some churros and he is indeed s- soaking up the Spanish uh, way of life. I so, think he uh, is doing just that, but I think he's also maybe working. So I think that your trip to Kent sounds like it might have been a bit more relaxing than what Joel is up to. Yeah, we shouldn't pretend that Joel's just swanned off, um, leaving Having the podcast <laughs> in disarray, um, not caring about the US Open. No, he is there on work purposes, so I don't think he's getting to see an awful lot of the city. Um, but it does mean we've been given the reins, and I think this is only the second podcast in Tennis Weekly slash Passing Shot History that has taken place without oh, Joel. Wow. So when was the when was the last one, Kim? So the last time I did a podcast without Joel was about three years ago before Wimbledon. Um, Some of our listeners who have been with us from the early days may remember it. I just spoke uh, for about 45 minutes about the Wimbledon draws. The solo pod. (laughs) If anyone like really likes to hear my voice, you know, they could scroll back (laughs) and listen to that episode. But um, it's nice that we've got you on board today, Chris, to... um, save our listeners from from experiencing just me again uh (laughs) but um yeah I mean I listened to you guys chat about the third round um you know I enjoyed hearing your perspective on on Serena you know her last match against uh Tom Janovic which you know it was it was a good send-off for her wasn't it and she wasn't able to get the win but it was a match that I think well, it was better than her getting obliterated love and one, wasn't it? So I think she would be um, reasonably okay with with that. Um, I was also thinking, before we move on to the women's fourth round from yesterday, if Coco Goff goes and wins this whole tournament, as I put in my predictions, there's totally going to be like changing of the guard um, headlines, isn't there? What with Serena retiring and maybe Goff winning... Oh, it's going to be mega (laughs) if that happens. I think so far, Serena being in the draw has taken the pressure off some of the US players. I think definitely for Jessie Pegula, I'm not sure she's felt like she's the the US number one in this tournament when there's the attention on kind of Coco and Serena. So, I mean, if that does happen, if you do get the prediction right, Kim, I think the pressure will be almost... Uh, Serena Grand Slam 24 levels on Coco because this has been a long time coming. She's already had a Grand Slam final and it would just be so sort of poetic and an American changing the guard, as you say. So it could still happen. Um, I'm not sure Serena will be there to watch it, but it would be fantastic if, um, well, fantastic if Coco could go far, but I'm not sure I want you to get the final prediction completely right. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I'd be, I would be able to be smart because I don't think I've ever predicted maybe 
not I mean Coco Goff yeah she was one of the favorites but I feel that you know getting that right it's still still going some so I mean she's got a long way to go she's got Caroline Garcia next let's let's round up first of all their respective fourth rounds because Goff had to really fight her way through uh Zhang Shui of China 7575 um Zhang was playing some amazing tennis Incredible. at the very start of the match um she got an early break but you know Goff had to really use the energy of the crowd I thought to to kind of fight her way through and I thought it was a very um you know gritty performance and an inspired performance and you know to come through in straight sets especially um I thought was uh very commendable and exactly you know just she's still on course um for this potential you know glory at the end of the at the end of the fortnight um and then Caroline Garcia straight sets against Alison Risk I mean out of the two of those performances, like who who impressed you the most, and wh- where are we thinking, you know, <laughs> when it comes to um, their matchup tomorrow night? Well, I have to say both were impressive in slightly different ways. I think that Coco Golf was impressive because she was playing against someone who had absolutely no pressure on them and was swinging and hitting so big, and I think that's something that when you are up against that challenge and you really have to sort of stem that challenge and really kind of uh, come through that then I think that's particularly impressive because she was being out hit at times and she did have to come back from 5-3 down in the second set as well so that was particularly mature in terms of her performance but Garcia I have to say and I'm not just saying it because you're hosting today Kim but Garcia was so impressive the way that she kept a cool head it was such a tight first set and she had to kind of rein in a bit from going a bit too big at times and she found a way and then she just steamrolled her in the second set and I was so impressed with the numbers she pulled I think it was something like 30 winners and eight aces and she wasn't broken so I mean I would say that I imagine you might say the same yeah I mean you don't have to be like you don't have to um apologize if she if she wasn't quite so good just because I'm a fan but yeah I mean her numbers are really actually impressive when you look on paper um I think I mean thank you Chris for adding this to our our, you know script today because these stats are are really quite interesting on average she's doing 29 winners per match and is hitting a winner every 2.7 minutes which um is is that around the clock is that at at 7am in in her sleep (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) she's dreaming winners up um yeah she's hit 116 one born every minute (laughs) 2.7 minutes for a winner She's hit 116 winners so far at the US Open, which is Gosh. the most of any female still left in the draw. Um, I mean, I didn't even think she was playing her ultimate best in that first set of tennis, but it was still, you know, more than enough to um, to get that that first set over risk. Who is a player who Caroline Garcia has never beaten before? She's only ever lost to risk, and um, yeah, I mean, That's after that first surprising. set she really kind of flew away with it, didn't she, in the second mm. with that com- confidence from having claimed the first. Did take a bit of a, a while to close out. Uh, had to have a few match <laughs> points, save a few break points. But that's, you know, Caroline Garcia trying to close a match for you. She hasn't quite um, got over the little, that that the little kind of wobbles. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you can understand. But she did well to, to not let risk sort of have any, I guess, hope of, of, a, of a fight back in that second set. Um, I saw that it was her first Grand Slam quarterfinal appearance in far over five years, which seems unbelievable when you think about um, how she's been in the fourth round quite regularly 
at some of these majors and had a good run obviously at Wimbledon but for someone of her ability it's, it's kind of mad that she's never been past the quarterfinal and not for five years since 2017 that's something yeah. that was particularly surprising to me I think that was Roland Garros um well I guess 2017 mm. and I think I don't know who she played in that quarterfinal but I I remember her playing against Cornet I think to get there um, but I'm not sure who it was in the quarterfinal. I have to look it up. But um, I mean, this quarterfinal against Coco Goff at home, you know, for Coco Goff, she's going to have the energy of the crowd behind her, the, the US crowd. It's going to be a night match. I mean, it's it's new newer territory, actually, for Caroline Garcia, really, than, than Coco Goff, because Coco obviously got to the French Open final this year. So in terms of experience at this level, you know, Garcia may be the older player, but arguably Coco Goff is is the more experienced. Um, however, obviously Garcia has won two double slams, has won premier titles. So we put it all into context. All that experience still still adds up. Absolutely. But I mean, it's crazy to think that Coco Goff at 18 is the more experienced of the two players when Caroline's been on the tour for over a decade. But the night session at Ash, everyone has said it is a different beast. You either love it or it really doesn't bring out the best in you. And I think it could be that sort of nerve jangling, stressful situation that Caroline doesn't necessarily enjoy that much. So I reckon it's going to be a great match. I think if Caroline is able to keep a clear head, uh, she'll be able to get it done. But I'd love to see it go to three rather than kind of these straight sets that almost go to three. I'd love to see another epic three set match in this tournament. Yeah, I mean, Garcia hasn't dropped a set yet, so she'll be hoping to continue in that fashion and just sort of uh, serenely come through. I don't, I don't think any of her sets have gone beyond a 6-4, so she hasn't even had to get to kind of the nail end of a of nail-biting end of a, of a set or have any tie break so far, which just goes to show the, the form she's in. So, I mean, oh, I mean, Coco Goff could could quite well feel the the pressure as well so I think that could could go either way that's the quarterfinal I have to say I'm most excited for um I think that's it could very well decide the tournament winner if we could be so bold as to say that um I think some other people may be along those lines and it could decide our collector set as well of course it could it really could Garcia is uh, is in the collector set as a uh, one of the only two last remaining candidates uh, in that in those picks. I think we'll do a proper update on that uh, maybe next time around. Um, I mean, let's quickly touch upon the other fourth round action on the women's side from yesterday as well. Uh, I woke up to these results this morning. I didn't didn't see uh, the matches live, but we had Ilya Tomlanovich against Ludmila Samsonova. Um, and this one, yeah, so Sam Sonova was playing some absolutely great stuff coming into this match. Tom Janovic obviously had got that win over Serena Williams, which must have given her, you know, a hell of a lot of confidence. Um, but yeah, Tom Janovic, 7-6, 6-1, straight sets in the end over the um, over the Russian. And and really, Tom Janovic, again, you know, just showing her, her fighting spirit. She was down 5-2 in that first set and uh, came through saving eight set points en route to grab that on the tie break. Um, massive, like, set. And that kind of, you know, changed the the rest of the match, really, didn't it? And uh, Samsonova wasn't able to to come back after losing that, that lead and letting that slip. Yeah, we talked about this on the podcast, the last podcast, Joel and I, and I think we thought Samsonova might just have the edge in this one. So I think it's just 
goes to show how important that first set is. And we've seen so many tight first sets. I mean, we'll talk about the Kyrgios Medvedev first set being so important in, um, in later in the podcast. But there's also in the same session, Ons came through 7-6 in a tight first set. And it's something about, I don't know, the water in New York where there is guaranteed to be one set that is full of drama and eight set points is just something that I don't think I've seen that before. I think we've seen, I think, six match points for her to get past Serena. But to keep a level head after what's probably been an absolutely unprecedented 48 hours in her sort of her life, her tennis life to date, I think it's something really impressive to be able to turn up again and not only back up what is the biggest win of your career, but also well perform so well against someone who's really in form and you haven't beaten before. So it was great to see that match pan out the way it did because you feel like she earned it after a performance on Ash the other night. Yeah, and it's it's nice to see Tomlanovic getting into another Grand Slam quarterfinal because... With points. She, yeah, with points this time around. Yeah, because she's done, what, is it two in a row at Wimbledon now, I think? Two in a and, row, yep. Yeah, and so she's been, you know getting quite consistent at the slams and really... Um, been very impressed with what we've seen from her you know in the last couple of years generally and I think Samsonova we disappointed because I think you know she was on a win streak here wasn't she and we haven't seen her go deep at a slam which will be kind of the next thing we're really looking to see from her and I think um you know she she might well I mean how (laughs) kind of having those eight set points and not taking them you know if you're someone that sort of ruminates on that that's gonna do you in so she you know, that may have very well impacted on her a lot. But I think for Tomjanovic, you know, she was saying afterwards that after that Serena match, she just did not want her, her time here to end. So um, on it goes. It goes uh, on further. And she will now face in the um, quarterfinal on Shabor, like he said, who also came through in straight sets over Kudometova. I mean, what have you made of Jabor kind of in this match and so far? Because, you know, Getting to that Wimbledon final, not quite making it and getting the title, obvious some disappointment there. But she seems to be coming through the draw nicely. And I mean, should we be looking at her as as the most likely? I mean, she is, I guess, is she now? She is the highest seed, apart from Shriondok, of course, left in it, I think. So, I mean, where are you thinking on Jabour-wise? I think it does depend so much going into a tournament you never know how she's going to perform we saw at the French she had a round one loss she had a final at Wimbledon probably could have got that final if she'd have managed to keep her sort of cool head um, and coming into the US Open it's kind of uncharted territory she's never had a particularly great result here and I think what I've seen is that she has played herself into this tournament she's hit some fantastic shots and she's served so well and so consistently that it's almost um as Joel said on the last one, I've got to give him some credit. And this is a little Easter egg for Joel as he goes through listening and editing tonight is that he did say <laughs> the night session and ons could be a match made in heaven. And it seems like it did because she she played kind of out of her skin from being down in that first set. Uh, and she I think she joked afterwards that she asked if um, she could have Serena serve when she retired. And it seems like it's working because she had 11 aces and zero double faults. So I think if you're serving that well and you have the the skills off the ground that she has, who would kind of bet against her in this bottom half? I mean, Tomjanovic has played well, obviously, and she'll be hitting the ball, you know, very consistently and with great depth and great pace and retrieving well. But Ons does have that level that I think potentially Tomjanovic can't reach. So again, you can't count her out, but I think it's hard to know on a 
match by match basis, which ons will will turn up on the court that day. Yeah, I mean, I love that that quote about asking Serena if she could have her serve. I mean, that's Please. just brilliant. Yeah, and I mean, in this this match, um, you know, she she did have you know eleven aces, zero double faults, seventy two percent of her first serves won. Pretty decent serving stats. Serena so. stats, right? <laughs> it's obviously worked. Serena has donated her serve to Onshabor. Um, that would be quite fun, wouldn't it? If uh, if uh, all retired, you know, previous players could just give their like magic skill or their their kind of top top stroke to to a, a player still active on the tour top if stroke like would be harry, key. harry potter or something this that might be a thing but um yeah it's not not quite so magical as that is it but um yeah i think um shabor is, is here she's focused she seems to have put all that wimbledon kind of I mean, obviously getting to the final was amazing, but I think she was obviously disappointed that she couldn't go all the way, but she seems to put that behind her. And I feel like, although Tom Lanovich is having a great tournament, for me, Jabor is the favourite for that match. And I think, um, well, I mean, I'm just looking ahead at the draw. A Goff slash Garcia versus Jabor semi would be also absolutely... There's some great matchups in the quarterfinals, Kim. I really think that this this tournament, more so than Wimbledon, you really see that we're getting some players that are just playing at the absolute peak of what what they can do. And um, you just don't know how it's going to go. And no offence to like the Wimbledon semi-final lineup, but I mean, Tatiana Maria, obviously it was a fantastic story, her getting to that point. But I think that actually, generally speaking, like that, yeah, the the quality of the, the... sort of quarterfinals that we'll have lined up I think does trump um what we saw at Wimbledon less surprises I think in in this draw um they're perhaps a bit more more names that we're more familiar with as well but I think just hopefully going to be some really cracking matches um I mean let's talk about some of the matches that we had today um we had earlier uh, well surprisingly I guess uh one-sided affair between Petra and Jesse Pagula, uh, 6-3, 6-2 to Pagula. Um, I thought this was going to be a bit closer. I thought, you know, Kvitova, after having come through that match with, with Muguruza, you know, I mean, I know it was, that was very close. She Muguruza arguably should have won that match. I thought Kvitova was going to bring more to the table, but perhaps that match from before was just a bit a bit too much. She took a lot out of her and she just wasn't able to bring it today. So, I mean, what did you make of, of Pagula's performance and and uh, Kvitova's kind of level that we saw on court today. Kvitova's always been a player that has said she accepts that she's going to miss some, she's going to make some, and if she makes more than she misses, she'll probably get the win. And today it felt like it was one of those days when if there was a ball that could be missed in that second set, she really did miss it, and by some margin. So disappointing for sure, given the performance against Muguruza, and Muguruza might see this performance and think... She probably could have done a much better job in this match against Jesse Pagula because the numbers weren't great from either. Pagula was just really solid. She soaked up the pace and she was able to kind of wait out the mistake in quite a lot of those rallies. So not quite the the match we would have hoped for. And also for Kvitova fans, um, quite a big disappointment because she's one of those players which it's almost unbearable watching her when she isn't on song because... Those balls are flying everywhere and it's a, a a very painful experience to watch, I'd say. But still a good tournament, a fourth round uh, and a good hardcore season. 
But I think um, the question remains. I think last time Joel called me up on it for being a little bit too hard on Jesse Pagula when it came to the who's the the best prospect out of her or Collins. But it looks like Pagula's starting to put it together. And I'd kind of put the same question to you, Kim. Where do you stand mm. on the Pagula-Collins debate? Well... I had Pagula as my finalist in our pre-tournament yeah. predictions. In Sticking fact, I had Coco, had Coco Goff to win, so it's still on. My final is still on. Oh. Although, obviously, I want Garcia to do the Renaissance, so yes. I'm, I'm, you know, personally torn there. But yeah, I mean, Pagula's such a consistent player. I think um, she's really carved out this uh, consistency from, I would say, a few seasons ago when she was first kind of coming up into the sort of higher echelons of the game and yeah that's the most impressive thing about her is she's very reliable and you don't really expect her to ever nowadays like fall really early in a slam or have a really kind of one-sided embarrassing result she's she is very um she's very consistent I mean I can't think of another word to describe her really but having said that consistency doesn't always get you big trophies you know so she does need to make sure she she brings that extra something to really I've never stand seen out. her play where she's just had that fire where you just think mm. wow like in the way that Danielle Collins I think she had over 50 winners at that night session against Cornet she just believed in her shots and went for it whereas you see Jessie Pagula and I think she's a great baseliner and she's obviously improving in the doubles, having great results, unfortunately not at this Grand Slam. But you're right, it is the consistency and I guess that's something that can't really be mocked when players seem to have one great tournament and then they aren't able to back it up and she's had three quarterfinals at Grand Slams this year. So maybe I'll uh, not double down on my comments because it is good having a consistent present at the a presence at the Grand Slams because it's a bit unusual when you see kind of a different lineup of eight each time it's um it's nice to have someone who applies that point of consistency on the wta someone you can rely on it's always nice Some, a, isn't banker, it? <laughs> a banker a banker a familiar face yeah if yeah i mean i think she remind she for a male equivalent like andre rublev or david ferrer i'm sort of thinking she's like the they're the sort of players she she's the equivalent of like they're very consistent they plug grind away out wins plugging yep. away yep and um, I guess she's kind of yeah. Is she the Rublev of the of the WTA tour? I, I don't know. Don't know if she'd enjoy that comparison or not. But I hope our listeners know what we mean uh, when we say that. I mean, she's got Iga Swiatek next, who has had a very interesting day on court. Um, Swiatek has been up against Yul Niemeyer, who we all know from Wimbledon. Uh, she made it to the quarterfinals as a qualifier. And uh, Niemeyer at one point looked like she was going to cause a bit of an upset here because she grabbed that first set 6-2. I watched a bit of the second set when they were sort of touch and go. They were breaking each other a piece. Shivontek uh, managed to clinch that one 6-4. And we've just had the culmination of the match, the third set. Um, it's gone... It's gotten very one-sided, I have to say. And Shriontek's bakery has opened once more because it was a bagel in the third set. So Iga Shriontek is safely through in the end. Um, thoughts on this match? Is, is Shriontek, um, you know, she's lucky to come through this or did Nimai give this away and just kind of, you know, Nimai had to get this done in two, I, th I was thinking, yeah. during that second set. And I guess it's the evidence is clear. <laughs> it is clear by that bagel third set i i feel for Neymar on this one because she was playing out of her skin tennis and she was really one of those players who's playing against the number one seed they turn up they hit big they commit to the game plan 
But unfortunately, it doesn't always last for the two sets they need it to. There will be that wobble or that moment when it doesn't quite go to plan. And then I think in that second set, there were something like eight breaks of serve or I think like seven of the last eight games of breaks of serve. So it's definitely a case where she started to think about probably the magnitude of what she was doing, you know, taking out the number one seed at the US Open. And it's it's a big, big shame because you don't want to see a scoreline where someone kind of completely mentally goes away or is completely kind of outplayed in that final set. But I don't think it necessarily sends sort of the message that Iga would want to. She's definitely a number one in unknown quantity. It was not convincing. It was that first set. I'm not sure if you saw any of it, Kim, but it was pretty, pretty ugly when it comes to some of the shot making, some of the footwork from her. And I think that in the back of her head, she doesn't have that same confidence that she had in the clay court swing. She doesn't think that she's unbeatable and that she'll find a way to win. I think this will probably be important because she did find a way in what were difficult circumstances, but I'm not sure people are picking eager for the title after this performance. I mean, I think it's she's done pretty well considering she's not been at her best to, to get through to the quarterfinals um, without a too much drama. I mean, yes, lucky to, to come through today. Neymar, it seems, brings her A game to the Grand Slams, you know, a quarter and then a fourth round. I was Watch out, if, AO. <laughs> well, I know, yeah. I mean, I, I know that she didn't get all those ranking points from Wimbledon, which, you know, would have put her higher up um, for this. But she was still, um, like, she still had a direct entry to come into the US Open so she didn't have to qualify for this at least I don't think but um, yeah I think I mean she wants it very lucky to get through will Pagula's consistency be too much for Iga if she's sort of a bit off the ball I mean that's that's going to be an interesting question but Svantec is a Grand Slam champion we know that Grand Slam champions sometimes can just up their game when they need it sometimes all they do need to do is just get through the first week and then they suddenly bring it from the quarters onwards and although she hasn't had a great summer really I, I still feel that deep inside Shrontek is capable of of bringing that out so I wouldn't be surprised if we she's back in eager yeah <laughs> I Iga don't know over Pagula or well oh I mean I have put Pagula in my final haven't I yeah but, you um, have I'm just hedging my bet saying I wouldn't okay, be surprised okay, if okay. this happens or this okay. <laughs> I understand that I, I'm gonna say that that one Oh, I just can't see... I've never seen the Pagula magic turn up in in a way that I think would be able to mm. to trouble some of those players, as you say, who've, who've gone the distance. Um, obviously, she'd beat Kvitova, who's a Grand Slam champion, but I think it's a bit different when it comes to the later rounds. But she's had a semi-final. Tough to, tough to know, but I think Iga will come through as well. Yeah, it's like form versus experience, isn't it? Which, yeah. which matters the most at this moment. Um, and two very experienced players are currently on court. Well, they've just come on to court. Uh, Victoria Azarenka against Karolina Pliskova. So we'll try and touch base on that before we finish with today. But yeah, I mean, ooh, that, both of them had good wins in their previous rounds. Pliskova over Bencic and Vika over Martic. So I feel like these two very seasoned competitors... Uh, probably played a number of times. I uh, I'd like to think that Azarenka could come through this one because I think uh, she's uh, been yeah, playing yeah. some seriously good stuff. But uh, hmm. I'd like to see that as well. Year. I'd like to see that as well. But I think whatever happens, if I were to say something as a prediction, I think there'll be a tie break set and it will make all the difference. Ooh. 
Every match, think- every women's match, it seems there's... Oh, actually, no, most matches, that first set's a tie break. So I think it will be... There'll be one set that will sort of define which way it will go. I think it will be straight sets, but I think you had Pliskova down to win this one, um, Kim, in oh, your predictions. Oh, might- oh, okay. I think well. she was one of your uh, quarterfinal picks, potentially. I may have made that up, but I think she might have been because I think we questioned you on it because she hadn't necessarily had that much form coming into it. Well... She didn't have much form coming into what was it Wimbledon last year, and she That's true. made the final. <laughs> if, she, if her <laughs> serve works, it's yeah, tough to, yeah, tough she to beat doesn't. Her. She doesn't need to borrow Serena's serve after retirement. <laughs> She's already kind of got a decent, uh, yeah. decent one. Um, yeah, I think um, I could see perhaps a similar situation with a player being up and then someone else, you know, coming back as well, like the, the we saw with the Samsonova Tomlanovic. So yeah, that, that could be uh, going either way. I think that's that's quite a close one to call. Um, we'll be getting on to all the men's action in just a bit. Uh, we're going to take a very quick break now, but do join us in the second half. We'll be getting our teeth into the Kyrgios Medvedev match to begin with. So do not go anywhere. <laughs> Welcome back to our US Open round four catch-up sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Now we're going to move on to look at the men's side of the singles action at the US Open. And we can't really not lead, I guess, with last night's uh, showstopper, defending champion Daniel Medvedev against the young upstart Nick Kyrgios. Uh, Everyone was looking forward to this one. Everyone was wondering if, if, I mean, this could... This could decide the winner of the tournament. This was really a match we were earmarking from the word go. And, well, the end result is that Nick Kyrgios has won through in four sets. As a result, Daniel Medvedev will no longer be world number one. What did you make of this uh, this action we saw last night on, on Arthur Ashe? Chris, what was your opinion of uh, Kyrgios's victory? Well, it was eventful. That is for sure. <laughs> we saw it all in this match. But I think the big take from it is that Nick is playing fearless tennis. He doesn't seem to be... I mean, he hits the ball twice as hard on breakpoint down or in those big moments, he goes for it in a way that is almost... And I think uh, I think it was Medvedev made the comparison, is almost sort of like playing at a level of Rafa or Djokovic because... And we've always known that the big players in the big moments play some of the best shots. And it's the players that don't go for it and don't back themselves. They don't always come through. And and I feel like it's something where Kyrgios is in the mentality that if he goes for it, he's going to make it. And it really showed that, especially in that first set tie break, which probably would have decided the match, I think he said that himself, that he, he really is backing himself. He's in a, a great sort of situation in terms of Taking, he's a professional now. He said that before. Uh, I just couldn't believe some of the returns he's making, some of the shot making, and in those last couple of sets, he made Medvedev, the world number one, look pretty ordinary. I think um, the the question would be is is he able to to keep up this level across the entirety of the tournament? Um, and if he starts to become the favourite, will that start to change his mentality from? slightly the underdog in these situations against someone like Medvedev. I'm not sure how it will affect his sort of mindset, but either way, I think um, seeing that level of tennis is just unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say how his mindset might be, might change actually, because, 
you know, he's got Karen Hatchinoff next. The winner of that would play Berrettini and Rude. And just based on what we've seen from Kyrgios here and also, you know, at Wimbledon, for me, I think he, he's certainly the favourite, I would say, to get into the final. And to be quite honest with you, you know, we've got Rafa on court at the moment. He's having some physical issues. I've, I think Kyrgios is winning this now. I mean, maybe I'm getting a bit carried away based on the fact that he's just beaten Medvedev. But I just think if he's in this new kind of run of form, being more professional, more focused, you know, he, he would have won Wimbledon had it not been for, for Djokovic, essentially. I, I think... I think he's just playing such a good level of tennis and seemingly got that that new mindset. I just I don't know. I'm I feel like he is the one to beat now to some extent mm. and I do think yeah it will be interesting to see if he puts that pressure on himself and puts that mantle on himself and whether that will actually hinder his performance. So quite intrigued to see how he's going to get on and approach the next match couple of matches. Um but yeah, he he definitely brings it, like you said. You know, he's got such a good record against the top players. You know, he's four and one against Medvedev now. Um, perhaps going into this, I should have looked more at that record because i i did have I did have Medvedev, I think, down to to win this one in, in like, based on collector set. Um, oh, unlucky, really, Kim! Unlucky. I know. Not really sure why. I just thought, oh, maybe Kyrgios won't keep up the Wimbledon form, but obviously. He is. Um, remarkably, he's also up to 18 in the world now in the rankings. Um, he's Feels now... like he should be higher, right? Well, he should be top 10, really, based on, you know, recent Oh, the Wimbledon points, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I, I suppose, yeah, he would. Yeah, he should. He probably would be. Um, he's no... Alex de Menor is no longer Australian number one. So Kyrgios is back, um, which is remarkable. He was 137 in the world just six months ago. So... You know, that's a massive rise. It that would is been incredible. With the Wimbledon points. A bit like Caroline Garcia, who was down at, what, 75 in the world. She's now 17 in the world. So two players. Are you drawing the comparison between Nick Kyrgios <laughs> and Caroline Garcia? Is he having a renaissance? <laughs> maybe he is. I think He's maybe he is. He's been inspired by her. <laughs> I mean, um, honestly, aren't we all? Yeah, she is. She is so inspirational. She's also just just going back to Caroline Garcia. Uh, she's still in the doubles. She's won her doubles again with Milenovic today. Um, so obviously, also the help of the doubles. Another comparison because Kyrgios playing with Kokinakis. You know, they won the Australian Open earlier this year. Was that the pivotal moment for Nick Kyrgios? Was that doubles title at your home Slam akin to what Caroline Garcia did at Roland Garros? I mean, is that the sort of thing that draws this all together? <laughs> I actually think that, I mean, we're kind of laughing about that, but I think potentially it was the moment when he started to deliver against sort of what was almost the the, uh, the burden of sort of un, un, unbearable or sort of unbelievable talent. You know, it was almost like that was, the pressure was always on him having shown such good form when he was younger. And now it's almost the, the privilege of having such fantastic abilities on the tennis court. And probably the time when he started to realise some of that and the crowd in Australia being so behind him after that Australian Open doubles win was probably the one the first time he was a Grand Slam champion. You know, that's something that's, that is mega in whatever field it is, whether it's mixed, whether it's doubles, whether it's singles. And he wasn't able to bring it against Medvedev in Australia in the singles. But that definitely has changed the trajectory of his year, I think undeniably. And I think probably the same for Garcia in many ways, getting back to winning ways and getting that confidence and that extra court time. I think it's given in that discipline so that every other day, uh, of, instead of every other day, sorry, him playing a match, 
he has to follow the same routine every day because you play doubles on your off day. Mm. So I think that routine is something he's spoken about in terms of the professionals with it. And, you know, it's always getting ready for the next match rather than um, not taking it as seriously or practicing as much as you should do. So I'm going to take that question and I'm going to say, yes, I think doubles, <laughs> everyone should be playing it. There's a lot to be said for routine and also just kind of that 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 time on court and, and boosting your you know the diversity of your skills and perhaps it will encourage more players to to, to enter the doubles game now that they've seen you know players have a you know having invested time into it and having a significant improvement in their singles game as a result I mean let's just go back to the particular match with with Medvedev um you know, obviously Kyrgios won that on a very tight first set tie break. And he, he did say if he'd lost that first set, he was doubting whether he'd be able to come back. But winning that first set on the tie break, very critical, like we were saying with a lot of the women's matches. Um, he did drop the second set, of course. But early on in the third set, um, I think Kyrgios was, was one love down. Um, there was a particular point where Kyrgios had to come round the net onto Medvedev's <laughs> side of the court to had finish to, the point had off. To. Well, I say had to. He didn't have to at all. <laughs> Recommended um, he didn't. <laughs> but it was basically a point he was certain to win because the ball from Medvedev was um, going to bounce, I guess, on his side of the court or go out. So, you know, Kyrgios didn't have to do anything. <laughs> yet he chose to come round and play it. I mean, what was that? What was all that about? Um, you know, that's it, it wasn't exactly like he was... Five two up in the fourth set, you know, or whatever. That's the early days of the third set, and he decides to go and do that. I mean, what was that all about? <laughs> I I think it must be like a a, mo- a moment of madness, um, over excitement. Maybe maybe he was already heading to the chair, and he just thought, you know what, I'll just hit this whilst I'm on my way. Um, but I just can't I can't think what would go through someone's head to do that. And one of the strangest things was not just the fact that he did it but it was also the reaction from commentators. There was a big debate as to whether you could do that or not. And um, in my mind, it was pretty clear that you probably can't send your doubles partner to the other side of the net and start hitting balls before they come over. But there was a big debate <laughs> that happened, you know, amongst commentators as to what you could do. Because obviously, if the ball bounces on your side and bounces back, you can lean over and hit it. But at no point do you run round and just, you know, dick the ball away <laughs> for a winner. So... I've never seen anything like it. And I think maybe it was for, maybe it was a gift to tennis Twitter. What do you think? Possibly. He knew he wanted to create a talking point. I mean, I think if that was allowed, you'd be having a lot of accidents of people like traversing across. You could the... rugby tackle your opponent. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just, I, 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 Nick Kyrgios does make us a, a bit sort of um, speechless at, at times, doesn't he? So, I mean, it de- definitely raises the, the rule book point like oh is that allowed you know some people new to tennis might not have realized that wasn't allowed so perhaps he's taught us some uh, lessons there (laughs) for the very beginners first time picking up a racket tennis 101 yeah um (laughs) has probably got a lot of new people into tennis though Kyrgios you know he's got a certain kind of following perhaps like you know uh there's a there's a trend there and the only other thing I thought was interesting from from this match was that um some of what Daniel Medvedev said afterwards as well um (laughs) I'm just gonna say as you've written it Chris that he blamed his loss on the air conditioning in North America and would you care to expand on that um yes Kim I would happily expand on that (laughs) so I reckon I can I can have a bit of sympathy for this but I'm not sure it'd be the thing I would I would lead with um (laughs) he essentially said that every time he plays the North American hardcore swing he actually becomes a victim of the heavy air conditioning 
that you're constantly going into air conditioning, which is, I guess, drying out your sinuses, and therefore he gets colds and he gets under the weather during the swing. And apparently last year it happened in Cincinnati, and this year it happened at the US Open. And he was talking about going from hot air to cold air, the heavy air conditioning. And I think um, it's an unusual thing to bring up, but um, maybe it's something we should look at, you know. If he's, if he's going to be in North America every year, maybe he needs to find some non-air conditioned spaces in order to acclimatize to the conditions better so he can peak at the US Open. But that was a direct something that he said in his press conference, which I just thought we had to talk about because what are your views on AC, Kim? Well, I, I know what he means. Like too much AC, I think, does is known to kind of spread colds and what have you. I, I don't like to be blasted with too much cold either <laughs> um however uh, my argument to Medvedev would be that it didn't I mean it may have affected him last year but he went and won the tournament and in 2019 he got to the final and had that ridiculous streak in North America so uh. previously he's done all right with the aircon so is he just using it as an excuse this Could year it be a good luck charm you know? maybe actually it forces him to push himself harder because he's already up against an air conditioning related injury yeah, I mean, or maybe he, what's the, I don't know if there's a workaround if you're sort of at the mercy of being in big air-conditioned spaces. He could camp. Carry that's the only other option. Yeah. Carry a heater with him or that's yeah. not very environmentally friendly. A yeah. humidifier. He could camp, couldn't he? And then he could camp at Wimbledon as practice. Uh, yes, for... you can see him in the queue, Kim. <laughs> oh, dear. No, he won't be allowed at Wimbledon as it stands. Oh, true, you know, true. With everything. Yes. So, yes. Um, I mean, Medvedev, Air conditioning aside, he's not going to be the world number one anymore. That is going to a new person, or maybe not a new person, if if Rafa has anything to say about it. Uh, We've got three candidates for world number one. Uh, Rafa Nadal, Carlos Alcaraz, or Casper Ruud. Any of those three will be the new world number one. Um, I mean... Personally, I'm quite surprised about Casper Ruud if, if it's if it's going to be him. I think I would not have seen that coming at the start of the season. But I'll allow it. He, you know, he's had a really great year, so I, I don't want to begrudge him anything. But I mean, who out of those three, uh, Chris, do you think is is most likely? Hmm. <laughs> I think Rafa deserves it, obviously. I think yeah. we have to say that without question that the he ranking systems much. would be... Yeah, exactly. The ranking system would be a, a bit on the silly side. I think we've seen it before where Serena's had three Grand Slams. I think this is way back... Um, I mean, quite a long time ago and she was world number two and she's like, well, maybe my goal is to win one more slam and become world number two still, you know? So I think for the sake of the sport, I think it's important that someone who has won a slam does have the the ranking. And obviously it's a bit more difficult when obviously Djokovic didn't get points in Wimbledon, isn't able to play in a lot of this. So I think Rafa would be not only my personal choice, but also the right choice in terms of tennis and, and who has displayed kind of the best results this year on the casper comment i did try i thought you know what for joel's sake i'll look at the maths behind it and try and figure out some of the scenarios and i have failed miserably but i think for casper to get world number one everyone else has to not do well that's essentially so if rafa doesn't get to um the final i think it would have to be pre-semi-final losses for both of them and casper would have to win so it's a bit of a long shot uh, it's nice that his name is in the running, but I think that is um, a step too far in terms of what would be expected based on how he's played and his results this year. I mean, 
Rafa is currently a, a breakdown in the third set against no. TFO uh, at one set apiece. And I mean, Carlos Alcaraz, he's got Marin Cilic today, but he may not go to that deep this tournament if if the likes of Yannick Sinner have. Are you saying that Casper is? It might be your pick for world number one. I, I don't know. I'm just saying it. It may be the case that the others do fail, and something Rouge, unusual could happen here. And he, by like one point or something, he um he he clinches it. I, I don't know. Uh, or perhaps Rafa might not actually do that well, but neither will the others. In which case, it will it will be Rafa anyway. Or they we, could all go out, and then it would be Rafa. It's Rafa's currently to lose, I believe. Yeah, based on the exactly. current live rankings. That's potentially the most likely. Uh, scenario that even if Rafa doesn't have a great <laughs> so we're saying he'll be the number one <laughs> probably Rafa because we think they might not go well for any of them because <laughs> they're all going to do terribly well yes exactly <laughs> oh god um I mean Rude did come through uh yesterday against Corentin Mute um which was I think a four setter um, yes the lucky loser the lucky winner as we called him in the last podcast yeah Bivol, I mean this was very Unlu- well, now he's a lucky loser twice right that's not well, lucky yeah. to lose twice yeah. in a slam. <laughs> well, pretty lucky to get to the fourth round when you wouldn't normally, perhaps. But um, yes, I mean, this was a pretty comfortable match for Rude, apart from that third set, which he dropped on a tie break. Um, so I feel like I know Rude had that that match against Tommy Paul, which went to the fifth. Um, he also had a, a you know beat Tim Van Rijthoven and and our Carl Edmund in the first round. But Berrettini in the next round is going to be, I think, another another step up. Um, although Berrettini is is. Not been playing his best, only kind of scraped through against uh, ADF, Davidovich Fakina, 6-2 in the fifth set. So that's why, I mean, looking at this section of the draw, for me, Kyrgios is, is the favourite. But just I'm not convinced by really either Berrettini and, and Rude in terms of the level they're at to, to win a Grand Slam. Um, however, that's not taking anything away from them because they've both made their way through the draw against the players that they've had to play against. Um, but yeah, out of the two of them, what did you make of their respective their respective fourth rounds? I feel like with the ADF Berrettini match, Davidovich Fakino is just one of those sort of nightmare players. Sometimes he's just going to embroil you in a fifth set, and you just don't <laughs> want to get involved in it, do you? <laughs> well, I think that's a bit how Berrettini felt. He said after the fourth set, he didn't have that much energy, and he thought, "I've just got to give it everything, and just play unbelievable tennis and get it done." And he he really did do that. I think um, maybe. That's the attitude to, you know, wait till the fifth set and then bring out the, your best tennis, uh, the inevitable fifth set uh, against ADF. But Berrettini, I think he's done well considering how little tennis he's managed to to play this year. He's missed a couple of the majors. So it's obviously always a good, great achievement reaching, reaching a quarterfinal. I don't think he was convincing against Murray and his serve wasn't particularly convincing. He was broken four times in this match, which for someone who is serving or can serve as well as he does. And on the courts that um, that are of Flushing Meadows, which are particularly quick and particularly difficult to return from. And I kind of feel like if that's not working as well as it should be, then I don't really think that the rest of his game has been working as well. And I think you can see that in some of the score lines of the sets that weren't particularly close. So I wasn't that impressed. I think I'm more impressed by the fact that Casper has pulled this together at the US Open Wimbledon was obviously a low point for him, losing the first round. Um, and I think there, were, even though he lost that third set, he was pretty convincing the other three, which I think does send out a message that you are able to rebound from it. But anyone who's losing a set to Goritin, Mute, I don't necessarily think should be the world number one. But 
is that is that a blanket statement? I'm sure that we'll, uh, someone will find out that Mute took a set off like some, like Nadal or someone at a tournament. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm not convinced by either performance when it comes to predicting them to go much further um, than one of them reaching the semi final. Obviously. Yeah, I'm just trying to think now if, if Mute has played Rafa before. Um, I feel like they have, and I feel like he might have taken the set. But, um, oh, no. I mean, no, M- Mute. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, he, they have played, and they uh, didn't take a set. Thank goodness. Oh, oh okay. It's, <sighs> I saw that, and intact. I thought, yes. <laughs> I mean, he's down at 1-1-2 in the world. Like, he, you know, he's sort of been on the scene a few years, isn't he? I think at one point was sort of labelled as a potential... Um, hope for French tennis bit of a fire, fiery character I think at times but um yeah I think Rude did well to, to dispatch him fairly comfortably and I mean for Berrettini Berrettini though like although he hasn't played particularly well this is his fifth straight uh, Grand Slam quarterfinal so um I think really he he is a very consistent player he's a bit like a Jesse Pagula in, in the sense that he does like to um to, to get to the second week of a slam and then seems to do so fairly comfortably uh, aside from injuries and having to withdraw. But um, I think he said he's been struggling a bit with the, the temperature and then the humidity mm. this, this this week. And I mean, maybe he needs to get a bit of Daniel Medvedev's aircon and uh, yeah, yeah. cool down in that. Uh, <laughs> maybe he's not having enough. But um, yeah, it's been te- <laughs> trying conditions for all of them, hasn't it? Um, moving on quickly, I'm just conscious uh, conscious of time, Chris. Um, yes, indeed, for Joel. For Joel, yeah. Joel's still got to do all the editing. Uh, so I'm li- I'm sure our listeners will be pleased to know Joel's not completely off the hook. Um, <laughs> he'll be having a late night in Madrid sorting us out. Um, PCB, talking of Spain and, and uh, Spaniards. Acronyms. PCB. <laughs> Yeah, and acronyms. PCB is out, uh, unfortunately. Lost in five sets to Karen Hatchinov. Uh, 6-3 in the fifth. Bit of a shame for PCB, given his recent form. Uh, but Karen Hatchinov, yeah, it was always going to be one of those matches, I think, that could go either way. And um, I think this means that Karen Hatchinov is back in the top 20, uh, almost, I think, since, I think, three years ago. So he's... One of those players that we know can be up there. We know has reached what... I think he's been to the semi-finals of a Grand Slam before. Um, Or just the quarterfinals. I'm not sure. Just the quarterfinals. But I feel like he is one of those players that, you know, definitely has the potential to go deep. But it's just we've never seen him finally get to that point. Um, What did you make of of this match? I mean, do you think that Kachanov has a chance against Kyrgios? Like looking ahead to the quarter? Well, I went a little bit too hard in some of my comments on Kachanov in the last podcast. So when I saw this result, I thought I looked like a little bit of a fool in this space. But um, I, I mean, I, I, I'm obviously pleased for him because I think he's a player who, you know, he's been as high as like world number eight um, mm. in, I think that was July 2019. And so it's one of those results where you just hope that they that he's able to push on um, and able to continue to perform well and play some great matches because, I mean, obviously he's got a tough next round against who our pick is for the for the title probability um, in the form of uh, Kyrgios if he can stay fit. But he's got to start winning more of these matches and this is obviously a great first step because it could have gone one of two ways. Uh, he could have got nervous like he does do and he's not always the best closer, I think is what I said. So outlasting PCB is is no mean feat, especially in New York. So I'm pretty impressed with the result. And I think 
moving forwards, it would be great to see him moving up in the rankings again and showing that he can um, challenge the people who are ranked higher than him because he has a great habit of beating people who are ranked lower than him. But then when it comes to those ranked higher, he doesn't necessarily always keep it as competitive as it should be. So uh, good for Karen, but I do think that he might be stopped in the next round. Yeah, and um, I mean, Kyrgios is technically, I think, higher ranked than him going into the next match. But I think for me, PCB will be disappointed because I think having reached the semis here twice already, he would have been eyeing up like a window of opportunity. I know one of those times was when the Djokovic default incident happened. But yes, indeed. I think he would have been really hoping for, for a little bit more than the fourth round. But all in all, um, you know, decent, decent. 10 days for, for PCB. Um, Cam Norrie, on the other hand, this this is, I think, for me, along with Rafa, who's potentially going to lose. We'll, we'll, we'll see. He might be going two sets to one down. Um, Cam Norrie, yeah, against Andre Rublev. I was so hoping for more than, than what we got today, Chris. Yeah. It was 6-4, 6-4, 6-4, straight sets for Rublev. Um, Russians having, you know, pretty decent tournament apart from Medvedev but you know we've got Kachanov and, and Rublev through on the men's side I know that Nori himself uh, would not be happy at, at his performance uh, today lots of unforced errors was getting quite frustrated um, it, it wasn't a good performance was it it was it's a right shame that he couldn't give more today oh uh, yeah I mean I was watching quite a lot of that match today and it was a mixture I felt that he was f- struggling physically is what uh, it was quite clear from watching it, which is something that's quite surprising um, for Nori, who's obviously someone who is very physically fit. The, te- uh, the conditions are very testing. Again, he might be a candidate for an AC unit, but Rublev had fantastic tactics and he was really making it difficult for Nori's backhand to be a weapon. He had to give it a bit more height and a bit more depth and he was missing long an awful lot. So... It's a difficult, a difficult result for him to process probably because he, he was talking in interviews about how he, he does have ambitions of being world number one and of pushing even further up the rankings. And it won't be what he would have hoped. Um, but again, it is his best result that he's had here, I believe. So in a similar way to um, the Jack Draper and the Andy Murray result, I think for all of the Brits here, they've, they have put in a, a good showing for the men's side but not quite got the results that they would have wanted. But nothing to be sort of ashamed of uh, in any way or to get your head kind of too low about because, again, he's, he's backing up what was a breakout season last year with some more really great results. Yeah, and I think, that, I mean, this match they had to come off court because of a rain delay and they, had to, they restart under um, under the roof. So a bit of a, a match of two parts, really, but it didn't affect Rublev, who was just very, very consistent and and you know, doing what Rublev does best, really, and uh, getting the job done. And, I mean, he'll be going into, well, I think this is his sixth Grand Slam. His sixth, yep, his sixth quarter Grand Slam quarterfinal. But the thing is, he's never won any of those. So, yes. I mean, this could be, just going along with what, what else is happening right now, I just mentioned Rafa's gone two sets to one down. If TFO is winning that against Rafa right now, That'll be a TFO Rublev quarterfinal. So this could be Rublev's best chance, maybe, to to make his first slam semi. I mean, um, even the way you said that, Kim, I'm impressed with the way that you're <laughs> able to take the emotion out of that and even suggest that might be happening. So oh. I think that's um 
I think that's uh, impressive in that sense. But yeah, I mean, I was shocked that he's actually had as many quarterfinals now as Medvedev at Grand Slams and won more than Tsitsipas. But he just, mm. as you say, he hasn't won any of them. So I think if Nadal wins and he's still, as well, we could discuss this in a second, but he's probably struggling physically and TFO hasn't had that much experience at this level, either way, it's going to be a good uh, matchup for Rublev, especially considering he has had that win over Nadal on clay. So maybe this is the year that Rublev finally wins a quarterfinal. Well, yeah, I think there's there's a strong possibility of it happening. Um, and, you know, I mean, good for him if he does because he's put a lot of hard work and, um, you know, he he's a very... Um, he grinds it out, doesn't he? Diligent, yeah, exactly. He's, he's put the, Jesse the, Pagula Pagula camp, the Jesse yeah, Pagula. The, <laughs> he is Jesse Pagula of the Mail Tour. Um, yeah, I mean, of them. Just, <laughs> <laughs> this Rafa match, yes. Rafa's been struggling physically from what it seems. He had treatment after the first set after he dropped that. Mm was able to grab the second. But, I mean, we haven't seen the best of Rafa so far this tournament. He does seem to be quite tentative with his serve and his movement. I think this is a, as a result of, obviously, the, the big abdominal tear that he had mm. and getting back into kind of his usual habits and, and everything. But it seems to be really quite afflicting him. So I I don't want to make excuses and say, oh, it's an injury, blah, blah, blah. But it does seem like he I mean, it is an injury, at I his think. best. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, he never likes to make excuses, but you know, you can't really hide certain things. So, unlike Medvedev with the yeah. aircon. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, oh well, we'll have to see what happens because obviously we're finishing recording very shortly. But I wouldn't be surprised if Rafa, yeah, doesn't come back from from this deficit. Um, after we saw what happened at Wimbledon, where he played through the pain and then obviously had to withdraw before his semi final. You know, personally, as as a big fan of Rafa, I'd rather he didn't push himself through to the point where it was going to be incredibly awful or damaging for him. So I'm sure Rafa fans listening would, would agree. So, I mean, we'll have to see what, what happens in the next sort of hour or so, but um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised kind of either way, really. Yeah, I agree. And, and if it, if the worst does happen, Kim, next podcast could be a therapy session. We can talk it out. <laughs> we can talk about the, how great a year he's had, but I think you're right. I think at times, there are players who make excuses. Rafa's never one of those players. And unfortunately, even if he does say that his opponent outplayed him, the data and the and the analysis doesn't lie. Like as, as we've looked at, his serve is not the same. He's not extending as far as he has done previously. His he's having a contact point that's lower. Um and the speed the speed has dropped and it's definitely affecting him. Um, or if it's not affecting him, he's definitely having to modify how he plays in order to be competitive, which is um, not where you want to be as a tennis player, especially at his stage of his career. So I hope that he's able to stay fit and healthy and we get to see him at the the end of season championships and to play beyond this. This isn't something that obviously ends his season, but I mean, it's quite clear that the abdominal injury is still something that's affecting him and mm. it, will, it will take a while probably for him to be able to recover from it. Yeah, it's a, it's a right shame. Um, and, you know, just in terms of the, the statistics and then the GOAT race, you know, Djokovic not being here, like a lot of people were saying, oh, this is a great chance for Rafa to get 23. But it does seem like the odds are against him if, if the injury is going to, to play into it that much. But um, just quickly looking ahead to the evening matches, Chris, um, Collins against Sabalenka and then Chilich against Alcaraz. Uh, mm. We're a bit short on time now. So one, like, who's winning both of those very quickly? 
Here you go. Danielle Collins. All Chilich. right. Oh, Chilich. Okay. You, you yeah. just said say names. And I've just done it. I don't know why I've said that, <laughs> but that's what no, I'm saying. I, no, I'm criticizing your decision. No, so no. I, uh, <laughs> I'm not. I agree. I think Collins, <laughs> I think Collins on this one. Although Sabalenka has been getting some decent score lines in. Um, I'd like to see Alcaraz win. I've got him going deeper. And I'm, but I would, yeah. I feel like I say I wouldn't be surprised a lot, but yeah, Chilich has been in decent. It's form, so hard to call it? these matches this year. Yeah, and Alcaraz has just been slightly less convincing over the last few months, hasn't he? So his stars are kind of waning. He needs to shake us up a bit. Um, tomorrow we've got Berrettini versus Rude, Jabor Tom Tomjanovic, uh, Goff Garcia. That's in the night session, and then Kyrgios Kachanov. So lots to look forward to. Um, we've also got in the doubles, uh, Joe Salisbury, Rajiv Ram is still going strong. Uh, they're in the men's quarters and Lloyd Glasspool is on court at the moment with Helio Vara against Nick Kyrgios and Tanasi Kokonakis. So, um, I think they're the last Brits we've got in the, uh, in the doubles. Um, we'll do a collector set update, I think on Wednesday, uh, which is when I think me and you are both, uh, in action on the podcast again. We are, we I are think- back. Joel will be, I think, somewhere else in Europe with with work potentially by then. I've I've lost track. He's becoming a right little globe jet setter, isn't he? <laughs> so, um, but we will be back to round up all of the quarterfinal action uh, on Wednesday night. So we do hope you can join us then. Um, but in the meantime, uh, listeners, remember you can subscribe to Tennis Weekly on whatever device you listen to us on. Uh, We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all uh, major podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can follow us on social media and email the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's at TennisWeeklyPod. You can email the show at TennisWeeklyPod at gmail.com. Or check out the website www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we'll be back on Wednesday at Tennis Weekly HQ to catch up on all the quarterfinal action. So I hope you can join us then. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. So we will see you again soon.